This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by WorkStep, an employee engagement platform boosting the operational effectiveness of the frontline workforce. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. How can we support the frontline logistics workforce in a time of cost-cutting? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Economic uncertainty and a drop in consumer demand from the height of the pandemic have many logistics companies bent on cutting costs. At the same time, though, they need to take steps to attract and retain workers in a time of labor shortages, especially for warehouse jobs. So how can they balance these seemingly contradictory requirements? Dan Johnston, CEO of WorkStep, doesn't think they're necessarily in conflict. On this episode, he discusses the need to invest in employee satisfaction and, in the process, defines what that term really means. We'll explore how a good working environment is also one that maximizes returns for the warehouse. Talent retention, Johnson says, is more important than ever. Here's my conversation with Dan Johnston. Dan Johnston, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Dan, why do you believe companies should be investing in employee satisfaction in a time of cost cutting? Yeah, it's a great question, Bob. I think we've seen a full cycle over these last few years in terms of the state of cost management and also the pace of hiring within the supply chain, right? In 2020 and 2021 and even in 2022, Folks just couldn't hire enough, and budgets were not a concern, and everybody was just trying to meet the demands of their customers. But as that pendulum has swung back a bit over really the last year, we've seen supply chain companies sort of retrench and go into cost-cutting mode. Mm -hmm. And really, it's in that mode of cost management that talent and talent retention becomes more important than ever because we all know that turnover, employee turnover specifically, has been and continues to be an ongoing challenge in the supply chain. And every time you lose one of these employees, it costs upwards of $15,000 to replace them and to ramp their replacement. Hmm. And so even in times of slower hiring and cost management, it's massively expensive for supply chain organizations to lose these critical trained teammates. Whom we refer to as frontline employees. What is your definition of that term? Frontline employees really are, are the folks making, moving, and eventually selling you know, everything that we consume in our society, right? So that's our material handlers, our pickers and packers, our forklift operators, our truck drivers, 
our maintenance departments to keep all of that equipment running. You could even think of teammates on the front line being supervisors and management in these buildings and hubs that, that keep those trains running. Really, but, but I use the term frontline employee to distinguish from an office or desk employee who might work at a corporate headquarters helping to keep sort of the overhead of the company in the right place. I see. But first, I was thinking that there seem to be two contradictory trends here with regard to labor. And that is, one, is we are in a cost-cutting environment. We hear about a lot of layoffs. And then, two, at the same time, we hear about what a hard time companies are having finding employees. Now, I'm guessing that that second category, the office workers and the like, is that the area where the layoffs are mostly happening as opposed to on the front line where it's where we're having problems just finding the people? tends to be what we're seeing, right? I think, you know, it was probably a couple of quarters ago now that Tesla made some headlines with their layoffs, but again, all within their corporate population, none within their manufacturing populations, right? And I think similarly, when we look out across large logistics companies, retailers, manufacturers, you're seeing a slowing of hiring, but you're not seeing a willingness to or a desire to, to shed that skilled ranch frontline talent. Again, for the very reason that you just hit on, which is it's so hard to find and hire and ramp this talent that any staff reduction are incredibly expensive in the medium to long term. The phrase employee satisfaction on one level is pretty easy to define. I mean, it means that your employees, number one, are sticking with you, and number two, they're having a good enough experience to be productive and doing a good job. But from the standpoint of the employer, what does it mean to promote employee satisfaction? Where should those investments be directed to achieve that goal? Speaking from a sort of a cost management perspective, right, we've talked already regarding sort of the extreme cost of losing an employee. Again, sort of relatively small reductions in turnover rates at scale lead you know, massive millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, depending on the scale of the company, in cost savings, right? And to reduce that employee turnover rate in these hard-to-reach distributed frontline roles, right, you need to drive employee engagement and employee satisfaction, right? Which is where your question began. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, right, it really starts with and then ability to listen to these teammates, right? And to make them feel like a part of the company's overall whole, right? Once you're able to listen to all of your teammates, whether it's a night shift warehouse worker in Omaha or a long haul driver, uh, with the hub out of the Southeast, right? Then you need to be able to understand that sentiment. What is actually driving behavior, whether it be turnover, productivity, absenteeism, and then ultimately take action on those leverage points that are moving the needle on your employee experience and on your employee outcome. First, it starts with caring. And then it sort of goes this cycle around listening, understanding, acting, and ultimately closing the loop. Yeah, the listening part is interesting because assuming that they feel that they are actually being listened to, and it's not just a campaign that management is promoting, we hear often that that's just as important as how much money people are making, or at least it's one of the important factors, and money isn't everything. 
if they truly feel like they're being listened to, that's a huge deal in terms of employee satisfaction, isn't it? Yeah, money isn't everything. We yeah. see uh, wage, sort of base wage, is a really, really critical factor in driving talent acquisition, right? If you're recruiting for a warehouse role or a driver role or a manufacturing role, the wage that you offer and promote publicly goes a long way in driving the ultimate volume and quality of candidates you see. But once mm-hmm. that employee is in the door, once that employee is in your organization, working on your floor, driving one of your trucks, we actually see that it's actually one of the less correlated aspects of sentiment to ultimately employee retention. So what I mean by that is the employees who are satisfied or dissatisfied with compensation, that sentiment is not as predictive of turnover as something like satisfaction with career growth or satisfaction with feedback within the organization. Those are the sort of themes that tend to ultimately drive employee behavior. However, the dynamic between employer and employee in these environments is just by definition often contradictory, is it not? From the employer's standpoint, they want to get as much productivity out of that employee as they possibly can. From the employee's standpoint, they want an enjoyable and pleasurable work experience, which may go right against the attempts to get get all that productivity out of them. How do you balance those factors so that everybody is reasonably happy? I think you set up an interesting sort of conflict, Bob, that that might not be there for most of us in reality, right? Like, I think about my job. If my employer just asked me to do very little and sit on my hands, I would be much less satisfied than I am today. And I think similarly for you, if your productivity expectations were much lower than they are today, I'm not sure your retention would be higher or your job satisfaction would be higher. In fact, it might ultimately be lower. Now, of course, there is a bound there, but I don't think sort of the only conflict is we want more out of our employees and our employees want to put in less. I think that can be taken to an extreme, but for the most part, really what we see is that satisfaction or lack thereof is driven less by feeling sort of overworked or like the expectations are too high. And it's driven more by sort of the simpler things like, do I understand the career growth pathways available for me in this organization? And do I believe that this is somewhere that I can grow? Or again, do I feel like I have avenues through which to both provide and receive feedback? And do I have a relationship that facilitates that with my superior? And that's relatively orthogonal to like the company is trying to work me too hard or not hard enough. Mm-hmm. And more about just like the leadership infrastructure that is in place within the company. But if you're a warehouse worker, if you're a truck driver, if you're somebody in a logistics or distribution function, are there career paths for you within that function? Are there ways for you to move up and stay with the company to more interesting, higher-paying jobs? Because it seems like some of these jobs are just pretty basic, and I'm not sure I see a path to anything better. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, so there are really two sort of distinct pathways in these environments. And so the one pathway and the pathway that people sort of think about most often is sort of traditional 
upward mobility. Is there opportunities, training, enablement in place such that a line worker can become a supervisor and a supervisor can become a manager and a manager can become a shift lead and a shift lead become the GM in the building and then eventually onwards and upwards you go. Now, of course, not every employee can follow that path because the math just doesn't work. But there are other ways to develop a career. There are sort of diagonal advancement opportunities. Some of our most successful partners have sort of what it's more like sort of warehouse to driving training opportunities or warehouse to maintenance training opportunities. So where a traditionally sort of lower skill, more entry level role can graduate into a higher compensation higher skill role within a facility or within an operation. But then there's also the facet of growth, which is maybe growth for me is just the ability to work precisely the schedule that I want mm-hmm. and have some wage progression, but really take more ownership of having sort of like everything else around the role get better for me over time. So there are plenty of different ways that people can progress within a given company. But the key there is that most of us want to have a belief that the future is better than the present. And that, that extends to all of us in our careers, including frontline supply chain workers. Let's talk for a moment about technology, specifically automation and the use of that technology to boost worker productivity or at least monitor it. For many years now, we've had labor management standard software that can track the productivity of a warehouse worker, say, down to the second, how many pieces you pick within a certain day or an hour or a minute. And that can be awfully soul-crushing for the worker. But at the same time, maybe the worker, seen from another perspective, wants to know how they're doing against expectations, and it would be of benefit. So where do you strike a balance there in using technology to increase productivity without it being this overarching thing that is a disincentive to the employee to want to be more productive? Again, I think it really depends on sort of the incentive and ultimately the aim of that technology implementation. I think one thing we've seen with a lot of our large logistics customers is there's a lot of trepidation initially around what will be the workforce's reaction to the introduction of automation technology, right? Will our employees feel like this is something that is competitive with their own roles? Will they play nice with these new automation systems? Is it possible we'll see increased turnover in these buildings where we're deploying these productivity accelerants? And for the most part, and this is, of course, only based on the segment of the broader industrial universe that we have access to at Workstep, what we've seen is the opposite reaction, where employees are excited to work more closely with technology, excited to learn new skills, right? excited to see their jobs change in a way where it often becomes less physically demanding and are happy to see technology take on maybe parts of the work that weren't the parts of the work that they were excited to get up in the morning and work on, right? I mean, you can go back in time, right? You think about the logistics industry prior to the invention and widespread availability of the forklift, 
that was a very mm-hmm. different role than the role you see today. And I think most would say a worse role. So I think for the most part, technology deployed right, whether it be software or hardware, whether it be robotics or productivity management, Canon should be an ally for that worker. And Canon should be an ally in building stronger employee-employer relationships. And again, like all things, it can be done wrong. But for the most part, we're seeing it being done right. You talked about at the top of this conversation the need to listen carefully, really listen, and then, as you said, take action based on what you hear. Can you tell me any more about any specific actions that you've seen out there in the real world that make a workplace more enjoyable to work in and boost employee morale? There are countless examples, and really, there are both micro actions and macro actions. And micro action is really just about decreasing that day-to-day frustration of an employee. So we've seen everything as seemingly trivial sounding as ensuring that gloves are available in the right location, sort of upon entrance being something that moves the needle for a population or uh, addressing issues with the break room or the bathroom. Items that seem almost silly, but actually can't drive the lion's share of dissatisfaction and lack of positive sentiment within a building. So the ability to understand the sort of micro challenges quickly, get ahead of them, solve them, and ensure that the employees who brought them forward feel heard and know that their challenge was solved. And then there's the more macro actions, right? Like I'm thinking of one household name, large supply chain company. And what they ended up seeing was that the majority of their driver turnover was not because of compensation or the physicality of the role or the length of the route. It was actually happening within their new hire population specifically for those new hires who felt like the expectations that were set for them by their talent acquisition recruiter did not map the role they walked into on day one and ramped into over their first month. And so the macro action there was to invest in realistic job previews, right? And ensure adoption of a standardized methodology across their recruiting team so that they wouldn't end up having these drivers come in who felt sort of almost misled in terms of what the role would actually be. And that ultimately led to massive improvements in both new hire turnover and turnover overall in that group. Again, those are sort of three examples, two micro examples, one macro example. But for every company, it's it's different. And really, the starting point is, is having that data around not just what are workers saying, what are they feeling, but also what is the impact of those feelings, right? Like what is actually the part of sentiment that is driving outcomes in my workforce? Do you think that top executives understand this? They understand the need, again, at a time of heavy pressure for cost cutting, heavy pressure for boosting productivity at any cost. Do they understand the need to perhaps spend something up front for the long-term impact of employee satisfaction, thereby the benefits are somewhere in the future? Do you think they have that long-term perspective now, or is that something that kind of needs to be built into them more? I think it depends, but I think for the most part, yeah, because since 2020, we really learned that the frontline workforce is essential. And I think every leader has come to understand 
sort of the cost of replacing good talent, especially in this unemployment environment. And the biggest drain on many of these organizations in terms of productivity, safety risk, and cost is attriting talent. And so for the most part, uh, leaders are embracing cultural engagement and being a great place to work as a way to, yeah, A, do the right thing for your teammates, but B, drive the bottom line results this quarter, next quarter, this year, next year. Dan, tell me about Workstep, where it fits into the picture in terms of helping its customers and clients to achieve productivity from frontline employees in a cost-cutting environment. Yeah, absolutely. So Workstep, we build AI-powered employee engagement software built specifically for large supply chain companies that helps them better understand, engage, and ultimately retain those critical distributed frontline teammates at scale. We work with hundreds of partners in the space and ultimately help them reduce turnover, often by more than 20%, which helps to increase productivity, which helps to decrease the number of safety incidents, and ultimately helps them become a better place to work. AI is a big deal these days. Huh? Is that a more recent addition to your offering, or is it something that you've been involved in for some time? I would say the ability to work with large data sets from these companies and understand what actually is driving outcomes has always been sort of the core capability of what we do at Workstep. The ability to correlate sentiment data, outcome data, and build models around what companies should do as a result. Obviously, with the proliferation of large language models, that's opened up new capabilities for a company like ours and many sort of really exciting new product functionalities. But generally, Workstep has sort of always been on the cutting edge of what is possible for this space. Dan Johnston of Workstep, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today about this issue of deriving maximum value from your frontline employees in a cost-cutting environment and telling us a little bit about Workstep itself. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. Great conversation. That was my conversation with Dan Johnston of Workstep, talking about the need to invest in employee satisfaction in the logistics workforce. We thank Workstep for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter or X, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time. <laughs>